Welcome to Manager Tools. First meeting new direct series, support the team. This cast answers these questions. What key points should I make with my new team members? How can I encourage new team members to get started well? How do I teach team members to support one another? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Here we go. Melbourne, Australia, how are you going? We've moved our Australian location from Sydney this year in order to bring our guidance even closer to you. Mark himself will be presenting, and we'd love to have you join us at our inaugural Melbourne event. You can register online today at manager-tools.com forward slash training. Catch you later. We've shared this guidance many, many times in our cast, but for those of you who are new, we talk about two primary reasons for firing someone. Now, the first one most people get, right, which is failure to achieve results. You don't achieve results. Um, most bosses believe most. I didn't say all. Most believe no, not all. it's reasonable yeah. to fire somebody for that. But the other one, and I think in their hearts, people go like, yeah, that's 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 right. But they have a hard time acting on it, which is failing to support their team members. If you tear down the team, it doesn't matter how good you are. You're going to get fired, at least if you work for manager tools. Yeah. Professionalism is both individual results and supporting the team organization, team organization, because it's not about you. It's about the organization serving society. Um, and, you know, it's been a while since we did one of these casts, but we have a series of casts in the first meeting, new direct meeting for a first meeting, new direct series. And this is the latest saying, you know, if it's going to be one of your probably not talked about priorities um, and the idea of supporting the team is probably not a priority in terms of the way people think about priorities. Priorities tend to be goals and objectives and OKRs and those kinds of things. Um, but if it's going to be one of those things that you hold people seriously accountable for, um, you need to talk about it. Um, make sure new people on your team know that you expect them to meet a higher standard just other than just getting results because what you don't want is, uh, the person who, about whom we've had a podcast before, uh, the arrogant top producer, right? We don't want somebody who thinks that it's all about results and then just ruins everybody else's sense of team spirit and camaraderie and collegialism that overall makes everybody better. Yeah, it makes kind of silly. I mean, that's the reason organizations exist, right? To combine the yeah. efforts of multiple people and, you know, essentially have the two plus two equals five. Thing. Yeah. So uh, makes no sense. So what's what's the, uh, the outline? Sure. So um, we're just going to remind everybody that the idea of supporting the team is, uh, or failure to do that, is the second reason to fire somebody. One of the key things that people need to understand about team behavior is a good team player behaves like a team player. And we'll talk about behavior. We'll talk about looking for behavior and using the feedback model as a way to help people engage in the right behaviors. And then at the end, we'll, we'll, uh, I'll give you an example of how it might sound. And you know, Mike, I thought I'd do something a little different this time. Um, we don't want to get old and stale. We might be old, but we're not stale. And that is, um, why don't I, to save the high D sometime, 
Why don't I start off with how it might sound and then come back to that and do it again at the end of the cast? So that way, if somebody says, oh, I get it, I, I, I get it, I don't need, I don't need, I don't need 20 minutes of horsemen. Too many words, horsemen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Too many words. I like. Well, what's, I love the joke that the software manager says to the developer. Um, I like everything your code, everything about your code, but one thing. What don't you like? The ending. Oh, really? What don't you like about it? It's too far from the beginning. <laughs> right. I would have written you a shorter letter had I more time. Um, so let's start with how it might sound. Um, this happens to be one of, thematically, one of our audience's favorite things is when we craft a speech or a suggestion or a wording or something um, so that you don't have to. We're not just making suggestions about how to think or how to feel or what your priorities might be or big picture thinking. We, we try to give you specific actionable guidance. So here it is. Here's how your discussion might be with your new associate, cluing him or her into, I'll fire you if you're not a good team player. Look, we've talked about results. Now I want to talk to you about the other critical responsibility you have, and that's supporting the team. Results are primary. There's, there's no question. Um, but they cannot come at the expense of a good working relationship with your colleagues. Uh, the classic example of this is the arrogant top performer. There are so many stories of superstars, and they get written about, and we're not at that level, but still, they get written about. They're famous. They're superstars. They seem to get away with not being a team player. It happens so often that it's it's crept into our culture everywhere that people think, you know, yeah, I'm going to be a good guy, but if I really kill it, in terms of my results, I can get away with being hard to handle because he's a temperamental superstar. But I just want to be clear with you, that won't fly here. If you haven't heard me say it before, there are two offenses worth firing for everywhere. Failure to produce results and tearing down your team. And, and look, it, it's not enough to have an attitude of a team player. Many top performers who are arrogant when they're confronted with their mistreatment, maltreatment of a colleague, a peer, um, they say, um, well, I've, you know, I, I really am a team player. I really do have an attitude. I have a heart of being a team player. Sometimes I just lose my temper. It's not enough to say you're a team player. Notice, it's not enough to say you're a team player. You have to behave like a team player. You have to behave like a team player, even when you know at times that helping someone else takes your eye off the ball for your goals and your responsibilities. You must be willing to subordinate yourself to the team at various times. I want to give you some examples of stuff I'll look for and also stuff that I'll look for that will bother me. First, some stuff I like to see if, as you become a, a member of this team. Team players over-communicate. They're willing to spend a little extra time explaining something to someone who is helping them. They don't cut corners when it comes to communication and their colleagues. They're not afraid to visit individually with others to help them understand and get on board. They help out. 
And because of that, their teammates liked them. They spent time building relationships with their peers and colleagues. They help others when they're asked. They tell the truth. They volunteer. They provide ideas and input when asked. They admit when they're wrong. They apologize. They're willing to take on more responsibility for a time when new work comes in, where the world changes, or the team changes. They smile. They say kind words to other people. They don't always want to know what's in it for me. They don't complain about their coworkers unless it's material. Now, having said all that, those things probably sound great to you. It's not enough to think about those things, not do them, and then engage in things that tear down the team. And so I also want to share with you examples of stuff that will bother me. Other people not telling me you're a team player when I ask them. Notice I didn't say other people telling me you're not a team player. That would be significantly bad. But my standard is you will be a team player. And so the absence of someone offering that is a concern for me. Not volunteering. Emails that are forwarded to me where there is rudeness, arrogance, or lack of professionalism. Eagerness to get credit. Willingness to quickly point out others' faults. Dropping a dime on someone else. And folks, if you don't know what that is, there's a podcast for it. Throwing your friend under the bus. Making sure everyone knows it wasn't your fault. Statements about how important you are. I don't know if you've heard it, but I'm a pretty big deal. Lack of willingness to compromise. Unwillingness to help others when they ask professionally. Sharp words. Gossip. Lack of professional subordination. And folks, if you don't know what professional subordination is, there's a podcast for that too. So, I expect the former and not the latter. And I'll give you feedback on both, good and bad, when it's time. And the harder you work on building a professional relationship with me, the easier it will be for me to see you doing the same with everyone else. If you're in my relationship is not good, it's not a big step to assume you can't do it with others. It's really pretty simple around here. Do your job. Do it well. And be nice while you're doing it. Being nice, behaving like a team player, is the grease that allows us to work hard side by side, day after day after day. Okay, so that's, my, that's the last thing. That's how it might sound. We can decide later if we want to repeat that. <laughs> Lucky people. Yeah, no, I think not. Um, now we probably ought to give them the rationale for that. Okay. So if you memorized all that, folks, um, and you understand it all, then yeah, feel, feel free. You're done. Yeah. Go, go back to work. <laughs> On the other hand, if you're a licensee, and if you're a licensee, you'll start becoming part of the executive tools uh, 
podcasts. Um, uh, you don't have to memorize it. You can download the show notes for free and print it out and keep it on your desk when you have the conversation. And I'll, I'll tell you something else. I would be much more impressed with a manager who had it in front of him written down and, and, and read it or read parts of it, thematically stayed close to it, than the manager who didn't because he thought he could do it and didn't want to be seen to be reading and then did it poorly. Mm. I don't know why. There seems to be, uh, it, it's almost as if managers expect themselves that the standard is not only you do your job, you do it well, but you do it with some sort of fashion or flair. Or, you know, it's, the Italians have a word, sprezzatura, which is, you know, studied nonchalance that, oh, I don't, I don't need a script. <laughs> Let me tell you, I've been interviewing people for 30 years and I use a script when I interview. Um, when I'm use when I'm giving feedback, I have a script, the feedback model. I've memorized it. It's only a few words, but I follow it every single time. Um, you know, if you've got a thousand words or 500 words to say, a script um, would be necessary. If you only have 20, you can probably memorize them. Um, but the idea that you would have an important meeting and not have some notes. Now, you might choose to take the show notes and copy and paste and bulletize them because that that's kind of how you think. Um, I would argue, and it's something that's been uh, resonated with me for nearly the last 20 years, we've been doing these podcasts, that sometimes translating some really good, clear guidance that resonates with you audibly, um, that, that uh, the words are put together well, it would be silly to take time to rewrite them because, you know, th there are certain phrases, the one that pops to my mind because I watched some stuff about the space, uh, uh, the Apollo space uh, program uh, last night on TV that, you know, we do not ask, uh, ask not what you can, what your country can do for you, rather ask what you can do for your country. Now, that's a lot different than saying, you know, you really should be thinking about what you can do for your country rather than wondering how you can benefit from being a part of this country. I mean, one is elegant. You know, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth in this nation a new continent conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Uh, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. Uh, I, I'm not... Lincoln or Kennedy's speechwriter, but I would think rewriting it would just be a waste of time. And everybody tells me they don't have any time. So there you go. There you go. Okay. Let's go back to the top. The second reason to fire someone. We've made this point. We want to dig into it a little bit. Um, it is the second reason to fire someone. It is a, this concept that, Failure to perform like a team member uh, is core. It, it is part and parcel. Is it? An, it is an inevitable derivative of organizational life. Places like Wall Street or Enron or you know hedge funds. Maybe they don't think so, but sooner or later, human organizations tend to embrace organic concepts 
And the concept of we're going to have a cancer cell among us is a deadly one. And so typically the organization ought to eject the cancerous cell. Um, someone who doesn't support your team doesn't understand that achieving their own individual goals at the expense of the team's mission is not a complete win. And I would argue if they get done what they need to get done, but they negatively impact three other people such that your team doesn't achieve its mission, they're being penny wise and pound foolish. Um, because if the team doesn't achieve its mission, you really have to be singularly exceptional, unique even, to be seen as a superstar if the team you're on is failing. And so we think if it's that important, if it's the, the second reason to fire somebody in organizational theory, it's worth 10 minutes at the start of your relationship with somebody. Um, now, I've mentioned this before, but the most common way that this problem rears its head is the challenge of managing that arrogant top producer for which we have a cast. Someone who achieves greatly but isn't a good teammate. They don't help out when they're asked. They ignore emails. They deride other ideas in public. They scoff at suggestions. They cross their arms. They roll their eyes. They straggle after ripe blackberries. Uh, they raise their voice. Um, they talk behind other people's backs. They take credit for other people's work. They tell lies. They don't create relationships. As the dark saying goes, I love this saying, uh, from the boss to subordinate, this is a case of mind over matter. I don't mind, and you don't matter. But it's also certainly possible that someone is not a top performer, but they are also not a good team player. It's interesting to talk about the juxtaposition of if the two criteria, the two key criteria are results and team player, to talk about the person who is a top producer and tears down the team. That's interesting. Ooh, the math is not easy. I have, in the top two things, I have one plus and one minus. What do I do? I don't, we've never done a cast of someone who's a fantastic team player but doesn't get results. Um, at some point, we will. Um, so it's certainly possible that you so have someone who's not a top performer, and they're also not a good team player. The most common example of that is someone who, who I would say, let's call it someone who is aggressively non-communicative. Um, they don't attend meetings. They say, it's not my fault a lot, or actually probably better. It's more likely they would say that wasn't my responsibility. You know, I checked the, I checked the uh, protocols. That wasn't my responsibility. If they do attend a meeting, they're late and they leave early. During the meeting, they don't speak up. They don't ask questions. They do email during the meeting. When they process email otherwise, they do so slowly taking much longer than reasonable to respond. By the way, folks, if you don't know, I'll say it again. You're responsible to know everything in emails that are sent to you within 24 hours of receiving it. And you're obligated to act on it within 48 hours. It's the rule. It's the rule. Um, they avoid eye contact. 
And let me just make it aside here. I talked to two people on the last month or six weeks. Says, Mark, you know, the eye contact thing, you've got to be careful because some people don't like it. No, what? And I said, well, okay, so? Well, you know, you wouldn't want to make them uncomfortable. Caring about making them uncomfortable is fairly low on my list. I mean, I'm not uh, Attila the Hun. I'm, I respect that other people have feelings. <laughs> mm, yeah, at least half the time. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a high D, high I. And people say, you know, you and and just because someone doesn't look at you doesn't mean they're confident. Or just because someone doesn't look at you doesn't mean they're not confident. I said, well, actually, if you check our the history of all of our recordings, you'll hear that I've said a couple of times that I don't necessarily equate eye contact, more eye contact. Notice I'm smart enough not to say good eye contact. I don't equate more eye contact with confidence. There's a really mixed message regarding data in that regard. Uh, although certainly uh, part of the reason I can say that is because some of the reason that eye contact, more eye contact is related with com- related to confidence is because uh, if you're told that every day growing up, um, it's less likely that you're going to magically disbelieve it. Um, but uh, people say, oh, people, you know, they're, they're uncomfortable. I said, well, as I've said before, I think I tweeted this recently. You don't get paid to be comfortable. You don't get paid to be happy. You get paid to be effective. In human society, making eye contact and, believe it or not, some form of touching, which has devolved, in my opinion, completely appropriately, to a handshake, um, these things are expected in the course of normal human organic interactions. It's normal. Okay, The absence of it is abnormal. Absence, abnormal. Someone who won't shake hands, someone who won't make eye contact, um, uh, is, uh, and I'm talking about extreme cases, is behaving in a way that tears down the team. Uh, I'm not saying that it's not harder for some people. I know it is. And part of what organizations do is socialize people. You don't get to be completely and utterly yourself. And by yourself, I mean the yourself you are when you're alone. You don't get to do that. When you're in your organization, you adapt to the cultural norms of the organization. And there are certain entry level, and by that I don't mean job level responsibility in the company, but simply entry requirements, uh, cost of joining the team. There are certain things that are expected. You look at other people, not all the time, but you make eye contact when you're talking to someone else. When someone else says something to you, you're obligated to respond. Um, When someone else compliments you, it's generally expected that you'll say thank you. Uh, If you have wronged someone, it's expected that you'll apologize. Now, you may be saying to myself, well, that's not my organization. Okay, you're in a crummy organization. But that doesn't change the incredible history of the development of a standard, common language of organizational life. And it includes some eye contact and some handshaking and certain conversational rules that I should probably write a podcast about. Uh, Okay, aside ended. Other things that uh, someone who's not a team player might or might not do. They don't provide a well-informed opinion when asked. Sometimes they say something like, whatever, that's fine. 
Uh, some people might say, uh, you seem disengaged, but you wouldn't want to give feedback saying you seem disengaged because they'll just say, no, I'm engaged. <laughs> right. And in this case, the example we're talking about here, they're also failing to perform. They're missing deadlines. They're missing quality standards. They're missing quantity goals. They're delivering incomplete final product. They're receiving low service scores. Uh, and they're the cause, they're named causes of customer complaints. In the context of this cast, the arrogant top producer and the shy and reserved uh, person who's not doing their job are the same. They're both tearing down the team. Folks, I'm not saying shy in and of itself is a reason not to be a team player. I was using a verbal shorthand to suggest someone who wasn't communicative, aggressively non-communicative, uh, and so therefore wasn't working to be a part of the team. I'm not saying you can't be introverted at work. You can. It's okay. But there are certain behaviors you're expected to do, even if you are introverted. In the same way that I tend to be extroverted, but I still have to sit with spreadsheets for hours at a time. I don't like doing that. I'd rather pay someone to do it for me, but I do it because it's part of my job and I'm expected to know certain things financially in order to make good fiduciary responsibilities for the organization. So you don't just get to do what you want to do. You have to do what is reasonable. You don't get to be an arrogant top producer or a failing non-team joining person because that's who you are. This whole idea of authenticity today is uh, while we like authenticity, when we think someone has it, sort of like charisma, um, I don't know what it is, but I know it when I see it. I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. Um, authenticity is, in my opinion, in many cases, not all, maybe not even most, is an excuse to say, I want to be me all the time. And I want to be the me that doesn't have to fit in with the rest of the organization. Unfortunately, you're in an organization. And so you're expected to fit in. Uh, and your greatness does not come because you don't fit in. Uh, well, may maybe it does. If you're Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or Albert Einstein. Uh, and so if that's the case, great. Why are you in a large organization? You should be Elon Musk founding your own. Uh, don't expect the organization which has had tens of thousands of people perhaps in it previously to bend its rules for you. So these cases, both sides, top producer and weak producer, are identical, but they're too often treated differently. The jerk top performer is, is seen as a tough firing. Gosh, you know, gutsy call, getting rid of his number one guy. Whereas the weak performer should be easily fired, right? It would depend on the situation, but it's possible that it would call for coaching and, and then ultimately, if it came to it, late stage coaching on team play versus job performance for that top producer. And in fact, that's what our cast talks about. Uh, whereas the weak performer, we wouldn't do that. But that is really isn't so in all cases. The jerk's performance isn't a strength that is balanced against his ledger of poor team play. Team play and performance are evaluated separately, and failure in either is grounds for termination. 
despite all the reporting in the world being about performance, there are actually two third rails in organizational life. And only one of them is performance, failure to perform. The other one is failure to be a good team player. So a good team player behaves like one. I wrote this cast a few weeks ago, and I added this part in because I was going through some old notes, um, actually preparing for the M conference, and I realized that I needed to say this because I had found a bunch of articles that had irritated me because they used vague language to describe what people were looking for. And you see this all the time on web pages and job ads. We're looking for a creative team player who knows no limits and sees outside the box, all these things that are impossible to measure. And I mean, it's like glurge. It's a, it's a, well, you know, it, it, it's, it's almost, look, I get it. It's puffery or it's marketing. You want to tug on people's heartstrings. Great. Uh, but you better be able to, you better know how to measure those things. And usually that would be behavior. Um, and all too often, people who tear down the team will defend themselves by saying, I'm a team player, I care about the team, and so on. And I remember once early on in my career saying, um, no, you don't care about your team. And I immediately regretted it. Because the person looked at me and said, no, I do. And of course, that was one of those many lessons I learned that don't talk to people about what they're thinking inside their head because they can argue with you and win. Uh, or they can argue with you and not lose. And so they can essentially run the clock out on the argument. The key to being a team player is behavior. By the way, I remember one time somebody, his name will go unmentioned here, but I was talking to this person on the phone Coming back from work, this must have been almost probably 15 years ago, thereabouts. And we were talking, I was talking about, I think we were talking about family. And I said, I, no, I really, uh, I love my parents. They're great. And you, not, oh, did I say you? I didn't mean you. This this person, to be unnamed, said, yeah, you really, when, when's the last time you called them? I said, oh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe two months ago. Hmm, that's interesting. When's the last time you uh, wrote them or sent them a card? Probably, I don't know, six months ago. And this person, to be unnamed, said, nah, you really don't care that much. Because <laughs> if you did, you'd call them. <laughs> so I yeah. argued I argued with this person. I hung up, and then I called my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, I can remember the dark mark absolutely doing that. And, uh, you know, I would get what I want, but that was Pennywise and Pound Foolish because it was expense the relationship. Yeah, it was a good it was a good lesson for me. Yes, all of my people skills are learned. I was born with the results skills. I mean, the drive to achieve results, but I've learned the people skills. Most of them. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not saying I have all of them. She was. I tell come on, I tell people all the time I'm not a nice guy. Yeah. And they don't believe you. And I'm in the back going, "Hey, it's true. It's true. It's true." All right, no, okay, what's going on? Sorry. I, I can't, folks, I can't help it, but give them a bad Yeah, time. no, it's okay. It's, it's too yeah, much fun small. for me. Everyone <laughs> needs to be hoisted on their own petard. So, um, just like with all organizational goals, all organizational measurements 
What matters is behavior. It is not enough to espouse team play if you don't engage in it. You're not a team player if you don't behave like a team player. So what do team players do? They build trusting relationships with their peers. They over-communicate. They spend time with peers even when they could say, I have better things to do, or I really am swamped and I need to get busy on something. And they don't say things like, I have better things to do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Let's put it this way. If you've ever thought to yourself, I have better things to do, you have the gene inside you of someone to not be a good team player, and you need to keep an eye on that. Uh, They help other people out with their goals. They review other people's work. They support organizational efforts. They support leadership and management. Um, They don't undermine the boss. They tell the truth. They're willing to serve on cross-functional teams. They provide input decisions, and they know what it means to behave with professional subordination. They own up their mistakes. They apologize, and there's a cash for that, too. Yeah, I'm adding to that. They own up their mistakes, and they're willing to make mistakes in the service of others, right? When you're asked for your decision, part of a team player is you're willing to give your decision even if you know that you might be wrong because you take risks for others. Yeah, sometimes you... Vote in favor of someone else's idea, even though you don't think it's perfect or you think your idea might be better, but you know no one will vote for it. Um, That political skill, that ability, again, to subordinate yourself to the organization. Right. And you said political, right? And that's what people think. It's a political skill. Dudes. (laughs) Dudes. Dudes. It's not a political skill. It's a relationship building skill. Oh, Yeah. yeah. As we have a podcast about that. Politics are just relationship effects. And politics is a word that is used internally to suggest that the relationship effects on decisions and activities within an organization have a taint of negativity and selfishness. And it's false. Okay. The definition of conflict is two human beings in the same county. And the definition of politics is three human beings in the same county. You're going to have politics. And politics doesn't make a decision bad. The log rolling that occurs where uh, there is a special rider attached to a governmental bill so that a person will will vote for it. I'm, I'm sure this is true across the world, but are the founding fathers in the U.S. knew that would happen. They didn't expect to hire, to to elect angels who were perfect and would only seek perfection because politics is the art of compromise. You are going to have to compromise at work. The people you most should be willing to compromise with are your colleagues who are closest to you, the team of peers that report to your boss with you. Um, other things they do, they trade shifts with other people. They don't complain to their manager every time there's a hint of a conflict. They don't ask their manager to intervene on their behalf very often. They're willing to take on more responsibility without asking for more pay or any other quid pro quo. They smile. They remember colleagues' family member names. I had somebody say, yeah, but I don't know them. How can I remember them? Like, oh, I'm sorry I gave you step two. (laughs) Um. They help clean up after meetings. They move calendar items to accommodate the larger group when they can. 
They deflect credit. They accept blame. They work to find agreement. And if they can't reach agreement, they disagree in an agreeable way. And as we've said before, they don't gossip. Successful managers have great teams, people that can be delegated to, people that have great ideas, people who support one another and solve problems instead of bringing it to the manager every time. Oh, to be one of those managers. You can be. Mark is signing copies of his new book, The Effective Hiring Manager, which will walk you through the whole process in true manager tools, step-by-step fashion. Don't hire without it. Go to the website and type hashtag hiring in the search box. Okay. So once you understand all that, then the next step, if your manager is, I don't know, seems like so unmanaged tools, like look for behavior and give feedback. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you something. We here uh, at Manager Tools, we read a lot of current science and publicity regarding HR trends, behavior, goals, psychology, organizational behavior, performance, organizational politics, governmental politics. Many of the articles, much of what I read, I consider to be what I call hollow topics. What I read suggests that an idea or initiative improves morale or performance, but does not clearly define any behaviors that are are or are not part of the initiative. In other words, they say being a team player improves uh, organizational performance. Having, let's say, more than 50% of your team being a team player, I'm making this up, I didn't read this, improves your team's chance of performance by 0.9%, statistically significantly, okay? The problem is they don't define what a team player is. They ask people a series of questions about their colleagues, or they ask generally about whether or not you think team play is important, but they don't define it. Uh, And I use team player as an example relative to this cast. One author suggested when they were asked how or what behaviors, this is an article that where, where they said, you know, team play was a good thing. This is a quote now, and this is Harvard Business Review. And they were asked, hey, how and what kind of behaviors? They said, it's hard to say, but that everyone kind of knows what team players are like. Perhaps it's like the old saying that I know it when I see it. <laughs> and what's funny about that, and I don't know if he knows it, but I'll know it when I see it. That famous line, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it, is from a Supreme Court justice, Justice Potter, talking about pornography. Right. And we try not to combine that with management advice, just saying. Yeah, general rule. Um, But look, you can't be a team player unless you behave like a team player. Conversely, think about this for a minute. Someone on your team isn't tearing your team apart because of a bad attitude. It is not the attitude that tears the the team apart. It is the behavior. Now, you may choose to try to swim upstream and get to their attitude, but I promise you, you'll die trying, okay? It is only behavior, what people do, the actions they take, the words they say, how they say them, their facial expressions and the body language and their work product that causes somebody to be at risk of termination 
for failing to support the team. And look, the reason we mention this and the reason why behavior is one of the core touchstones of manager tools is if you've already rolled out the Trinity, you already have the tools to steer your new associate in the right direction. After you've rolled out one-on-ones, roll out manager tools feedback. Look and listen for the kinds of behaviors we've mentioned that support or destroy the team. Feel free to email me, mahorstman at manager-tools.com. And give me other examples of behaviors you've seen. And we'll come back and add an addendum to this cast, or even better, in a cast in three or four months, put a little five-minute intro on it and say, hey, we heard some great things from our audience about behaviors you've seen that either tear the team down or don't. Remember, it's never black and white. Good team players will make some mistakes that hurt the team. Um, Those mistakes are worth mentioning to that person. And if you're thinking about that for a minute, oh, this is a good team player. Should I mention that what he just did hurt the team? I'm, I'm afraid that I shouldn't touch that because that's an important thing for him. He's proud of that. Well, really what you're talking about there is the strength of your relationship with your direct. If you have an exceptionally strong relationship, you can mention it to them. They'll, they'll be appreciative of it. The same way you would say, no, if, if I'm strong in something, but I make a mistake and my boss notices, I'd rather he tell me. Assuming you don't hate your boss. When we're talking about our two biggest goals, results and relationships, more communication is better. Pretty simple. So let's summarize. It's not enough for a team player to have great individual results. If they don't support and assist teammates, they're not doing enough. And if they actively denigrate the team, that's even more serious. Uh, That's a short line out the door. Let them know early on that there is more than one third rail. I like that. Before we go, who who are we going to acknowledge this week as Ah. one of our long-term licensees? Oh, long-term, like as in, you know, since the very beginning, I think, of licensees. Um, Brian Glassman. Brian has been with us since the very beginning. I looked him up and uh, discovered that I think he was like in the first 10 people that got a license. If I'm not mistaken, it was August of 2007, August 1st, 2007. Is that right? Yeah. And just think, folks, if you'd have joined us all the way back then, and I know some of you will say, Mark, I wasn't born then, uh, and you would be rubbing it in. But um, if you had joined us all the way back then, uh, because we never started a business, like this, where we were going to give away everything we knew for free every week. Uh, When we first started the licensing program, and if you don't know it, if you're a licensee, you get written materials for all the shows. So you don't have to re-listen to me talking. I often tell people on planes, hey, look, if you don't like the sound of my voice, don't listen to the podcast. Because if you don't like me, it's all me on the podcast, or nearly so. Um, But uh, I would much prefer to read uh, in a case of a podcast, it's, it's trying to teach me something. I'm not saying you should be, but if you are someone who likes reading and appreciates the speed at which you can gather information by reading versus listening to someone talk, then being a licensee for $200 a year not only gives you access to all the show notes for the next year, but also access to the entire archive of shows for the last 14 years. And 
Brian was one of the first, and I think it, but it, it took two years. I mean, we started in June of 2005. It wasn't until two years later that we did licensing. But in the very beginning, when we did licenses, we gave away a free interviewing series with it to sweeten the pot, just to make sure we made some money. And uh, we don't do that anymore. Um, the interviewing series happens to be very successful on its own. But nevertheless, Brian was with us, one of the first 10 people ever to be a licensee. And Brian, we thank you. We're glad you're part of our community. And we do this every week for the community. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. All right, my friend. Thanks, partner. So long. Thanks, everyone. That's it for this week. We'll see you again next week. Have a great one. So long.